This morning, we began the first part of a sermon entitled, Outpouring, Revival, and Worship. And essentially, two things were happening. Uh, it was a, um, a sermon of rebuke and correction from the Lord, because by now, at this stage, all these years, and all the sermons, you know, I shared with you that I've had at least, since I've been here uh, as pastor, starting February 21st, 1999, 85 sermons with the title of praise or worship, uh, with those words in the title, 85, that's a lot. That is a lot. And that doesn't include all the different prophecies we've had, which um, I speak about, where the Lord prophesied about praise and worship. And, uh, you know, if, if you're not doing it now after all this, there's something wrong. You know, you really need to identify what's happening in you as far as your relationship with God is concerned, because this is very critical. Uh, we, I've shared so many times in the past, and then even today, about how praise and worship facilitates God moving in our midst. Well, see, if we're, if we're believing God for an outpouring and revival, we need that move of God. Well, we help facilitate that through praise and worship. Not going through the motion praise and worship, but genuine, God, I love you, and I'm, I'm trying my best to stay focused on you mentally during this time of worship. Um, and he understands. We do our part, and he does his. And what we did this morning, we opened up reading several passages from Psalms where essentially it was saying, I will praise you. I will sing unto you. I will, you know, declare your greatness sing to you in the congregation, so on and so forth. And then after we read all those verses, I ask you, you know, did you mean what you said? We should mean what we say. And the truth is, we shouldn't need promptings like that. Well then, last Sunday, during the um, morning service, you know, the Lord moved on Jamie and, and she shared with us and said, it's almost like there's been an apathy or an unbelief, but he's saying here, don't take him for granted. Don't take him for granted. Well, this morning I said, you know, four days later on Wednesday, and Kathy said, you know, Wednesday's only three days after Sunday. The reason I said four days is because Wednesday's the fourth day. Anyway, three days later, on Wednesday, during praise and worship, you know, once again, there was this admonishment, okay, you all just sing that with us. It was a song that we were singing at that time. Okay, you all just sing that with us, okay? You know, sometimes it feels like we're singing alone. Some of you are singing. Why don't you get up on your feet? Everyone, please stand. Please stand. We should never, in this congregation, at this point in time in our history, we should never need those types of admonishments, that kind of encouragement. Never. We should never need it. Because we've heard so much about the value of praise and worship, and because praise and worship is a very part of our born-again life, we should be looking forward to releasing that when we come together. You know, let alone whatever we might do when you know, we're at home or whatever, but when we come together here in this place, it's something that is um, it's needful. Then we watched a video, and the video was of a praise and worship service. I, I don't know for sure where it was recorded, but as we watched this video... I, and we didn't have the audio turned up. I wanted you to focus on all the people in the video. And I said, just look for one person who's standing there, um, a part of this, this group, 
Just look for one person who is not engaged in the praise and worship. You couldn't find anyone. Every single person in that video, 100%, they were all engaged and participating in the praise and worship. Then I came back with the question, you know, how come it's not like that here? It should be, 100%. Every time we come together, we should, all of us, engage ourselves in the praise and worship and how that there's no excuse not to do this. You know, I shared this morning how that our pre-church attitude should be Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of our Lord. And then our attitude, once we arrive here, should be Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless him. And then God says, if you do this, then here's what I'll do for you. If you will praise me, if you will come in with that kind of an attitude and worship me, well, Psalm 22, verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Well, like I shared this morning, if he was going to inhabit the praises of people back then, you know he's going to do that for those who have accepted his son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If we begin to praise him, he will inhabit the praises. Now, this is not an, uh, a, well, we hope he will. God can't lie. So if he says, I will inhabit the praises, I'll be there, then he'll be here. But if we're just giving him lip service and we're not making an effort to really praise him, well, why should we expect any kind of results? But when we enter into this kind of praise and enter into worship, he responds. It, it like pulls him in. And we look through uh, some other passages of Scripture. For example, Psalm 42 uh, you know, David was talking about how lousy things were in his life, but then he said, you know, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquiet, disquieted within me? Yeah, I'm going to praise God. No matter how bad things are, even though my emotions are screaming out, you don't feel like it, you don't want to, why are you wasting your time? He said, no, I'm doing that in spite of what my emotions say. Now, if somebody could do that who wasn't even born again, how much more us? We have no excuses. We cannot say, rough day, rough month, rough morning, rough whatever. We can't do that. It, you, you just cannot use those things as justification. We talked about how that when we're worshiping God, or no, through our worship, we leave a legacy for the generation behind us. We are training up the next generation as they see us engaging in praise and worship. Even if mom or dad have a terrible voice, you know, that they can't stay on pitch or whatever. But the kids see mom and dad making a joyful noise unto God. They see and hear mom and dad praising the Lord, even if mom and dad can't sing very well. They witness this, and that's a part of the training process for the children and for the grandchildren. And in uh, Psalm 50, 23, it talks, God said, if you offer up your praise, you're glorifying me. Well, what's the opposite of that? If you don't praise me, you're not glorifying me. I mean, seriously, think about it. Here you have a worship service going on, and you're just standing there or sitting there and not doing anything. Do you really think you're glorifying God? Do you really think that you are inviting God to move in your life by just being there? Well, in Psalm 57, verse 7, he talks about, My heart is fixed, and I will praise you. 
In other words, no matter what is going on, my heart is cemented in place that I am going to praise you. Regardless of the external circumstances, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to sing praise unto you. And in Psalm 91 verse 14, God said, when you set your love on me, then I move in your life to produce deliverance. So whatever you're dealing with, whatever you feel like you need delivered from, when you begin to offer praise, setting your love on him through that praise and worship, his presence is there and moves and you can begin to see deliverance. And this shouldn't be just, well, I tried it on, I tried it last Sunday, but nothing happened. No, this has to be a lifestyle. This has to be, I will enter his courts. I, when I come before him, I will join with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I am going to praise God. I'm going to do this. Even if nobody else does, I'm doing this. Because it's in me, it needs to come out, and I'm going to do it. Praise and worship is not something that we attain to. Praise and worship is something we release. It's in there. So we can't say, well, I'm you know, just kind of waiting around here. No, praise and worship is a result of a conscious decision on the part of the individual, not as a result of the move of the Holy Spirit. And people who say things like, well, you know, I'm just waiting for the Spirit to move, then I'll worship God. No, you're missing the point. You, have, you are to worship God whether you feel the Spirit moving or not. It's not about what you feel. It's about who you are, who He is, and who you become in Him. And every single person, person should be worshiping God as though he or she is a worship leader. Every one of you. Every, all of us, we should be worshiping God as though we're the worship leader. Now granted, that means we're not going to have the microphone and so forth. You know that. But what I'm talking about is we take it that seriously as though, and I shared with you one time how that, you know, in my mind I created this vision uh, of, of being during, you know, a worship service, of me standing before the throne of God. You know, there's, there's God the Father, there's Jesus, and everybody in heaven, everybody, millions, billions of them, they're all behind me. I'm the one in front leading the praise and worship to Jesus. I'm the worship leader of heaven. In other words, that's how I envisioned it. And everybody behind me, again, this is just imagery, but they're depending on me you know, to be the worship leader. Well, that's not the way it really is. I understand that. But when we have that concept in us, you know, I'm a worship leader. Even though I'm not on the platform, you know what? I'm going to worship God. And if that helps other people around me to worship God, hallelujah. Glory to God. That's what I'm going to do. And I shared there at the end how that there is no greater instrument than our voice. Our vocal cords are like the strings on a guitar or a piano. And how that we have the ability with those vocal cords to produce words of worship unto God. That you are a maestro. You are the greatest musician on earth because no musician can play any instrument better than what you can play yours. And that's how we open up unto the Lord. And then at the end I shared with you a document, almost um, eight pages, a little over seven and a half pages, of references to praise and worship from the book of Psalms. And I said, you know, if you need additional encouragement, 
You know, here it is. And there are some still up here. If you didn't get one, take one. Because as you read through this, this is God speaking to us, letting us know how important praise and worship is, why we should do it, how he responds, what happens. Um, When you get toward the end of Psalms, you begin to see that praise and worship is a form of spiritual warfare against the enemy. So, as you take the... And this is just from the book of Psalms. It's not the rest of the entire Bible. God has so much to say about this. Well, to pick that up, where we left off this morning, turn over to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. Now, in Isaiah chapter 12, let me give you a little uh, lead-in to this chapter. It's a very short chapter. Isaiah chapter 12, well, Isaiah chapter 11, let me just, it starts out and says, There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and it goes on and on. It's talking about Jesus' coming. It's a prophecy about the coming Messiah. That's Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 12 is after he has come, and look here, in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, And in that day, what day? The day that he has come, the day that the Savior has arrived, the day that Jesus has come to be our Redeemer, so on and so forth. Look at this. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He is the theme of my song when I'm praising and worshiping him. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day you shall say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doings among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. See this? Chapter 12 is our response to Jesus our, Re- our Redeemer, our Messiah, showing up. And in that day, you're going to be praising Him. He is your Savior. You're my Savior. You're my God. You're my Jehovah. And I'm going to praise you. I will make mention that your name is exalted. And notice what He says He will do. Cry out and shout, Thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. Where? In the midst of thee. We praise Him. We worship Him. There He is. This is the second verse that we've seen referencing him being in our midst. And then, you don't have to turn to this, um, I'll read it to you. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. Sing and rejoice, and I will come and dwell in the midst of thee. Three times in scripture God makes reference. We praise and worship, he shows up, he's dwelling in our midst. What else does he need to say? What, how much more encouragement? Oh God, I just want you. Where are you, God? He says, praise me and you're going to find out. Worship me. Turn it loose. And you're going to discover I'm in the midst. I will be there. Now, I shared this morning how that I was going to kind of pass something along that some of you may have never heard 
before concerning praise and worship. I was listening uh, to a sermon by Katrina Wilson, and she made, um, she didn't teach on this part very long, but she mentioned it. And I'm going to share some things that she said, but nevertheless, she mentioned this. It has to do with the word hallelujah. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. So I started doing some of my own research because I wanted to dig deeper on this. And <laughs> here's something that I found that, honestly, if I hadn't looked for it myself, I would be challenged to believe what I'm getting ready to tell you. Okay, the word hallelujah, H-A-L-L-E-L-U-J-A-H, hallelujah, appears nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. Oh, I know, you knew that, right? I did not know that. I'm thinking, ah, no, it's in there somewhere. In there, No, I used computer software. Types in hallelujah, all right, where is it? No matches found. Said, no, 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 you're wrong, computer. <laughs> I know for a fact it's in there somewhere. We say it too much in church. It's not in there. And I thought, okay, ah, I know. It's not spelled H-A-L-L, etc., etc. It's spelled like this. A-L-L-E-L-U-I-A. Alleluia. That's how it's spelled. I'll find that throughout the entire Bible. So I typed in Alleluia. Guess what? It only appears four times in the entire Bible, all four times are in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1, 3, 4, and 6. That's it. That's it. And I'm thinking, wait a second. <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. Because we're always saying, hallelujah. One of our favorite songs. Everybody knows the words. Alleluia. Alleluia. Not hard to learn that song. And to find out that Hallelujah appears nowhere, and that Alleluia only shows up four times. I thought, man, this is wild. So I started doing some research because I thought, ah, something, something, no, I don't know about this, but I, I can't deny it. Well, since Hallelujah doesn't show up, I mean, I use King James, I don't know what you use, but since Hallelujah doesn't show up, I, I couldn't look it up. I could only look up Alleluia. And that's in the New Testament, which means it comes from a Greek word. Now, the word Alleluia, it comes from a really interesting Greek word. The Greek word is Alleluia. <laughs> Seriously, is this heavy or what? <laughs> yeah. I looked it up and I thought, come on, this is too simple. But no, it comes from the Greek word Alleluia. Now here's where it gets a little complicated because I don't understand all the nuances of the Greek and Hebrew languages so all I can tell you is what I found. The word Alleluia is a Greek transliteration of a couple of Hebrew words. Now I'm not even going to try to explain to you transliteration but it's got something to do with the way the letters are formed between the Greek and the Hebrew. There's also another term called Latinized. And I'm thinking Latinized, I don't... Anyway, you have the Hebrew word halal, H-A-L-A-L, -A -A halal. And then you have the Hebrew word Yah, which is short for Yahweh or Jehovah or God. So you have halal, Yah. Now what's interesting though is that the word halal, H-A-L-A-L, -A -L, 
sometimes that is written with like H-A-L-L or H-A-L-A-L. And after the last L, there's this little tiny U up at the top. Why is it there? I don't know. Like I said, I don't understand all the nuances of the Greek and the Hebrew. But what that means is it becomes Hallelujah. And then Yah. So you put the two together, guess what you have? Hallelujah. Alright? Yeah, you're really interested, aren't you here? I can tell you the excitement is building. No, but see, this is, this is uh, it, it's really important because that phrase, Hallelujah, appears numerous times in the Old Testament. And, and I'm going to give you the references. You can look them up later. So, Hallelujah, it literally means praise Jehovah or praise God. And you can find it in Psalm 104, verse 35, 106, verses 1 and 48, 111, verse 1, 112, verse 1, 113, verses 1 and 9, 115, verse 18, 116, verse 19, 117, verse 1 and 2, 135, verse 1 and 21, 146, verses 1 and 10, 147, verses 1 and 20, 148, verses 1 and 14, 149, verses 1 and 9, and 150, verses 1 and 6. Now, What's interesting to me in all of this, and what I was researching, is that in uh, these chapters, where it appears twice, almost every single time, it appears in the first verse, and in the last verse, and it's translated as, praise ye the Lord. Now there's something about, and again it goes back to my lack of understanding concerning some of the Hebrew, but there's something about when it's included at the beginning and included at the end, there, it, it represents a type of emphasis on doing this and what is being said. So in other words, it starts out, praise ye the Lord, or hallelujah in the first verse, and then it ends on, in the last verse with hallelujah. So to the Jews who understood this language, this was very, very important they saw this, or they understood the value of it more so than what we do. But in uh, Psalm 150, the very last psalm, it appears in the very first verse, praise ye the Lord. But then in verse 6, the last verse of Psalm 150, it appears twice. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, what I do understand is that when, in the Hebrew, when a word is repeated twice, like right in a row, that is a super emphasis to do something. So at the end of Psalm 150, and this is so amazing to me, we go through all the book of Psalms and everything that is in there, and then at the very end, the very last chapter, the very last verse, God says, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord. He's saying, look, after everything I've told you in, the, in, in this entire book of Psalms, let me sum it up like this. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So every time that you see that phrase, praise ye the Lord, there in the book of Psalms, you can actually substitute the word hallelujah, and you're not going to be wrong. Now, when uh, Katrina was teaching on this, and I'm just going to share with you, what she was talking about. In John chapter, well, we've read three verses where God says that He inhabits our praises. 
Now, the Bible, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it states that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So then when I am praising God, and I'm hallelujah, glory to God, worshiping Him, and He says, I inhabit your praises, then what that means is, when He shows up, His light shows up. His glory shows up. You understand that? Now, when His light shows up, it dispels darkness. So in other words, when we begin singing, or you know, just, just simply saying, Hallelujah, in our praise and worship, God begins inhabiting the praises. His light, which is a part of who He is, begins inhabiting, and literally, what we could be saying is this. Hallelujah, or in other words, light be Darkness flee. Now that may sound a little trite to you, but when God says, I inhabit your praises, and he ends the book of Psalms with praise ye the Lord, praise ye the Lord, or hallelujah, hallelujah, what he's trying to say is, if you will hallelujah me, then I will lighten you. (laughs) The entrance of his presence brings light. So I begin to praise him, and I begin declaring hallelujah, hallelujah, As I'm standing here teaching this, it's possible some people hearing it, it's like, yeah, okay, well, whatever. But it's not a, yeah, okay, whatever with God. God is trying to get across to us a principle that allows Him to engage with us on a very personal level. He's giving us a key to enter into His presence and to experience His presence in a greater way. I want you to listen to this story um, that Katrina shared she said some time ago a lady shared with me that she was fighting terminal cancer she heard this meaning talking about the teaching on hallelujah she heard this meaning and began to say hallelujah light be cancer flee she did this consistently and she began to get stronger it had been over a year since i had seen her and she was so excited to tell me that she had recently been to her doctor, tests were taken, and to her doctor's amazement, she was cancer-free. Cancer-free. Praise God. And she cried out, Hallelujah. When you understand this meaning, you can say this powerful praise word in any situation, such as, Hallelujah, light be, depression flee. Hallelujah, light be, Whatever, whatever is contrary to who you are in Christ and whatever is contrary to what God has established in His Word, when you say hallelujah, it is an invitation for God to show up to bring His glory, to bring His light. And because of our authority here on this earth, we literally can say hallelujah, light be, and whatever, flee. Go. Leave. Be gone. A lot of Christians would hear this and think, well, that just sounds crazy. You know what? I'd rather sound crazy shouting, hallelujah, light be, sickness flee. Light be, depression flee. I'd rather sound stupid doing that than sitting around complaining and bellyaching about everything that I don't like in life. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now look in Isaiah 25. I don't know about you. Maybe this isn't having the same kind of impact on you that it's having on me. 
But I have a whole new appreciation for the word hallelujah. And I guarantee you, I'll be using it more than I ever have before. Because I know now more about what that word means and what it does. Hallelujah. It's not just... It, it's always been a good word to use in praise and worship, but now we can kind of see it as a weapon. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now in Psalm, Psalm Isaiah, in Isaiah 25, verse 1, look at this. O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things, Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and true. I'm going to praise you, God, because you've done wonderful things. I'm going to open my mouth and praise you because you've done wonderful things. You say, well, what wonderful things has he done? Are you born again? Okay, that's the greatest wonderful thing that he's ever done for you. But look, I mean, there's so much that God does for us, we just miss it. We just kind of pass it on by. But God has done wonderful things. He's been, he is faithful to us in a way that we're not faithful to him. And so Isaiah is saying, Lord, I'm going to praise you. Now, let me kind of pass this along to you. Isaiah prophesied during a time when some of his prophecies weren't greatly appreciated. There was a lot of apostasy going on in Israel. So he's declaring the word of God. And there were some people, they just, you know, can we kill this guy? Because we don't like him confronting us with our sin. So let's just shut him up. Well, here he is. He's saying, Lord, you are my God, and I will exalt you, and I will praise your name. You have done wonderful things. In the midst of all this persecution, guess what? You've done wonderful things, and I'm going to praise you. Look in Isaiah 38. Isaiah chapter 38. And take a look at verse... Just go to verse 18. This is neat. For the grave cannot praise thee. Death cannot celebrate thee. They that go down into the pit cannot hope for thy truth. The living, the living, he shall praise thee as I do this day. The father to the children shall make known thy truth. Are you alive? But the answer is yes. <laughs> You're the living. And he says the living shall praise you. The living shall praise you. And not only that, the father to the children shall make known thy truth. There's leaving the legacy. The father, the parents are supposed to, look, years ago I would have bought into all kinds of excuses, but now, no, no not going to work. Yeah, well, I'm kind of shy. Sorry. Your born-again spirit is not shy. There's nothing about your born-again spirit that is shy. It'll praise God. Anytime, every time. It will praise God. So, you know what? You can hide behind the shell of an excuse. Unacceptable. I mean, I, I, feel, I feel sorry for you for doing that. But we're supposed to influence the children to praise and worship. And you know, consider this. Is it possible that there are kids in churches, raised in Christian homes, that where well, the kids have gotten off track, but wouldn't have, if mom and dad have been worshipers? Is that possible? I say yes, it's possible. I'm not going to say 100% every case, but I'm going to say yeah, it's possible, because we're supposed to be setting that example for the kids. And even if we don't have kids, we're supposed to be setting the example. In fact, if you go back... Um, and study out uh, Jewish history, 
It wasn't just the parents that had a responsibility to train the children. It was the community. The whole bunch of them had a responsibility to help instruct the children in the ways of the Lord. Look over in Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse, pick it up in verse 10. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kadar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rock sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord, and declare his praise in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. Are you struggling with something? He says, God is saying 10, 11, and 12. Praise me, praise me, come on, praise me. Because what happens is, that begins to open up a door for me to go forth as a mighty man and prevail against the enemies. See this? God is saying, the Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall prevail against his enemies. Are you in Isaiah 42? Did I say Psalms? Well, I lied to you, didn't I? All right, turn over to Isaiah. Why do you listen to me anyway? What's going on here? Yeah, you guys are looking at me like he's finally lost it. Isaiah 42. <laughs> now I know why your eyes are all crossed. <laughs> What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Let's try this again. Here I thought I was on a roll. Good heavens. Isaiah 42, verse 10. Sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise from the end of the earth. Ye that go down to the sea, and all that is therein, the isles and the inhabitants thereof, let the wilderness and the cities thereof lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar doth inhabit, let the inhabitants of the rocks sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory unto the Lord, and declare his praise in the islands. The Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealousy like a man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. See that? God is saying, hey, listen, turn me loose. Turn me loose. Praise me. Worship me. Do Open your mouth. Let it out. Because I will be a mighty man of war and I will go forth on your behalf and I'll do warfare with you and for you against the enemy. Turn me loose. And how do we do that? We praise Him. We worship Him. And again, guys, look. In this church, as a congregation, this is what we need to do. Every time we come together, we cannot hold back. we got to praise Him. You know, a fast song, slow song, medium song, doesn't matter. Cut loose. Let it go. Because God is saying, I will become the mighty man of war, of war And you're going to, figuratively speaking, I am going to roar against your enemies. I will move on your behalf. He's waiting for us to do this. He's waiting for us to turn him loose, if you will. And look over in Isaiah 43, in verse 21. This is so neat. This people... Have I formed for myself, they shall show forth my praise. Do you realize how prophetic that is? This is prophetic for the body of Christ. The Bible tells us that we, uh, those who are born again, we've been created 
in God's righteousness and true holiness. And God is saying, this people that I have formed for myself, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of Him who saved you. You're a people that never existed before. And God is saying, this people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. They, do you realize God is... <laughs> it's really interesting. This verse 20, 21, it's almost like a faith confession on God's part. He's saying, I formed these people, and now I say they shall show forth my praise. In spite of the fact a lot of them don't. He's saying... I say, <laughs> this is my confession over them. Someday the light is going to go off. Their eyes are going to be opened. They're going to understand they need to praise me so that I will be able to move more freely on their behalf. Now look over in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. Now look at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord, God, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may, uh, might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. See that? All right, we all know this is a prophecy about Jesus. So this is telling us, verses 1 through 3, this is what Jesus does for you. How do we respond? Verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. For as the earth bringeth forth her bud, and as the garden causeth the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations." So God, verses 1 through 3, he's saying, this is what I'm going to do for you through my son Jesus Christ. And then we turn around, verses 10 and 11, and we say, I am so grateful for what you've done. This is, yes, I, I know you have done this for me. You've redeemed me. You've set me free, etc. and so forth. And so you know what I'm going to do? In the same way that the earth produces plants, I'm going to produce praise and worship unto your glory. I am going to be that, that planting of the Lord and the fruit that comes forth from me is going to be praise and worship, which is exactly what we see in the New Testament where it talks about offering up the sacrifice of praise, you know, the fruit of our lips, which is the thing that we're supposed to do before Almighty God. God says, this is, I mean, I don't, let me speak for God for a moment. <laughs> How much more? do I have to say? <laughs> how much more do I have to put in my word? Well, we're not going to get any more word. Think about how much more does he have to say about we should do this, we ought to do this, we're supposed to do this, he expects us to do this, he confesses we're going to do this, and he says, if you do, you're going to see a whole lot of stuff in your life dealt with. You're going to see a lot of problems dealt with. You're going to get answers to a lot of questions. But you've got to do this. And not only that, but I'm going to show up in your midst. And I'm going to begin to move. 
Now, I'm not saying that every time we come together and praise God, there's going to be a Shekinah glory cloud hang down from the ceiling. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is, He will move according to His will for that service. But we've got to do our part. We've got to praise Him. We've got to worship Him. We've got to glorify Him. I'm hoping that from this day forward... Okay, let me share what's happened in the past. I've taught on praise and worship, and people get kind of excited, get motivated. And for a period of time afterward, you know, the people come, folks come in and say, yeah, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus, praise you, Jesus. But then it's kind of like it starts settling down. And people start backing off again. Okay, I'm hoping it doesn't happen. I'm hoping that finally, after, this would be what, sermons 86 and 87, I'm hoping that from this point on, when we come in here, we'll enter his, his courts with this praise and the thanksgiving. We'll come before him with worship, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're going through. God's the answer. God's glory will be here. I'm going to have an experience with God no matter what I'm going through. I'm going to do this because I know what God has said about praise and worship. And the praise team is going to be coming up right now. And uh, we're going to finish off with some praise and worship. But I'm going to, uh, the praise team, listen to this as you're walking up here. And all the rest of you listen to this. And I would wish that every worship leader on earth would hear this right now, what I'm getting ready to say. Because a few weeks ago, as I was uh, praying, and I think I may have been praying uh, about this message. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly. But I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit said. Now, this is so important. He said, praise and worship leaders teach, preach, and prophesy to music. Now, I don't know how many of you ever thought of it like that before, but that is exactly what happens. Every song is like a short sermon. Every song is like a short teaching. Every song, a lot of the songs that we sing, they're very prophetic in nature, even though we may not pick up on that. And so what the Holy Spirit said was, praise and worship leaders teach, preach, and prophesy to music. If you wouldn't teach a doctrine in a sermon, then why teach it in a song? Why teach it in a song? Because there are a lot of songs, they're just not good. There are a lot of songs that uh, I've been listening to them and I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, boy, this would be a great song that we could use for pre-service worship. But then as the song goes on, it's like, we can't do this. <laughs> this isn't right. Every now and then, I've been able to use software and kind of get rid of some of the verses that don't line up because everything else lines up. But the thing is, I remember years ago when Kathy and I were uh, attending a what you'd call a traditional Pentecostal church. And there was a song they used to sing. Um, and I forget the, the title of it at the moment. But there was a phrase in the chorus that said, When I kneel in prayer, I hope to find you there. Precious Jesus, hold my hand. And I'm thinking, wait a second. <laughs> When I kneel in prayer, I'm going to find him there. So, you know, you ever sing that song? Change that phrase. When I kneel in prayer, I know I'll find you there. Precious Jesus, hold my hand. Glory to God. Well, everybody stand and let's praise the Lord.